Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast, where we are discussing the Federalist Papers. Today we will talk about Federalist 58. As with the previous few essays of the Federalist Papers, Federalist 58 takes up and offers counterarguments to a specific charge concerning the House of Representatives offered by opponents to the Constitution. The claim opposed by Madison in Federalist 58 concerns the claim by opponents of the Constitution that the number of members of the House might not increase in step with increases in the population. We typically begin these podcasts with three Federalist ideas concerning the essay under review. Here are three big ideas concerning Federalist 58. Big Idea 1. As Madison did in other essays among the last few concerning the House of Representatives, Madison and Federalist 58 reviewed the examples of state law and state constitutions on the matter of increasing the number of members of the legislature in response to population increases. Big Idea 2. Madison pointed to dynamics of negotiation stemming, as he saw it, both from differences of interest between large states and small states and from the power of the purse, as tending to preserve the increase of members of the House. Big idea two. Madison pointed to the dynamics of negotiation stemming, as he saw it, both from differences of interest between large states and small states and from the power of the purse, as tending to preserve the increase of members of the House. Big Idea 3. In Federalist 58, Madison pointed to counterintuitive features of representative government that led him to conclude that the number of representatives ought not be increased without limit. So Federalist 58 begins, as I suggested, with the mode of argument seen in some of the last few essays, a defense of the design of the House in view of practices within already extant state constitutions. If the concern expressed by opponents of the Constitution refers to suspicions that the, that representation will not increase as the population increases, then one way to address this might be to look at practices within the states, quoting Madison here, quote, Those who urge the objection seem not to have recollected that the federal Constitution will not suffer by a comparison with the state constitutions in the security provided for a gradual augmentation of the number of representatives, end quote. Such a comparison yielded, on Madison's account, reason to think in terms of a correspondence between federal and state rules, and the potential for similar results under the Constitution. Quoting Madison, quote, If we review the constitutions of the several states, we shall find that some of them contain no determinate regulations on this subject, that others correspond pretty much on this point with the federal Constitution, and that the most effectual security in any of them is resolvable into a mere directory provision." End quote. The results of these state rules had been just that increase in the number of representatives relative to population proposed for the U.S. Constitution, quoting Madison on this point, quote, As far as experience has taken place on this subject, a gradual increase of representatives under the state constitutions has at least kept pace with that of the constituents, and it appears that the former have been as ready to concur in such measures as the latter have been to call for them." End quote. It may be reasonable to look with a critical eye at this element of Madison's argument. It seems as if Madison is pointing to the ability of state constitutions to design and engage policies allowing for the increase in the number of representatives. Drawing evidence from the states to explain elements of the U.S. Constitution seems apt in many cases in other essays, but it may be a bit harder to see how far such an argument works on this point. It isn't that the point is wrong, but it may be less clear what question this point would answer. Big Idea 2 points to the likelihood 
that increases in the number of representatives would be sustained by what one might think of as dynamic and productive tensions between large states and small states. Madison observed that, quote, it may be with certainty be inferred that the larger states will be strenuous advocates for increasing the number and weight of that part of the legislature in which their influence predominates, end quote. For this reason, Madison was unconcerned about the potential opposition of smaller states to adding members, quoting Madison here, quote, Should the representatives or people, therefore, of the smaller states oppose at any time a reasonable addition of members, a coalition of a very few states will be sufficient to overrule the opposition, a coalition which, notwithstanding the rivalship and local prejudices which might prevent it on ordinary occasions, would not fail to take place when not merely prompted by common interest, but justified by equity and the principles of the Constitution." End quote. The presumption here appears to be that the large states will be more likely to benefit from such a rule, if I read it correctly, but it isn't clear, to me at least, whether the fact that a state is large is a good proxy for its likelihood to add population. Perhaps it is. This logic appears to have moved from Madison to suggest that, if push came to shove, the House might be more likely to impose its will on the Senate than vice versa on questions of increase in representation, but his argument on this point was pretty heavily qualified. He did think, however, that senators from newly created states would support the augmentation of representation, quoting Madison here. It will not be looking too far to add that the senators from all the new states may be gained over to the just views of the House of Representatives by an expedient too obvious to be overlooked. As these states will, for a great length of time, advance in population with peculiar rapidity, they will be interested in frequent reapportionments of the representatives to the number of inhabitants." End quote. Here, the focus is not on the demands of large states necessarily, but on the demands of new and, presumably, growing states. Finally, after a glance at analogous questions in Britain, Madison moved from considering the opposition of the Senate to contemplating the President. What if the executive branch stood firmly in the way of augmentation of representation? Would the House of Representatives be able to resist the position of the president? In part due to the possession of the power of the purse, Madison thought that the House would be able to resist the president on such a question, quoting Madison here, quote, The utmost degree of firmness that can be displayed by the federal senator president will not be more than equal to a resistance in which they will be supported by constitutional and patriotic principles, end quote. Big Idea 3 concerns Madison's theoretical claims about assemblies and limits to how large they should be. Now, Madison led up to this point by offering a few theoretical observations about the behavior of assemblies, at times reprising ideas seen in earlier essays. Madison reminded his readers of an implicit limit on the effective size of assemblies, claiming, quote, that in all legislative assemblies, the greater the number composing them may be, the fewer will be the men who will, in fact, direct the proceedings, end quote. One might think this to be true in the sense that one might believe hierarchies more necessary as decision-making bodies become larger. Madison's justification went further than this, pointing in part to the greater, quote, ascendancy of passion over reason, end quote, in larger bodies, and in part to the greater, quote, proportion of members of limited information and of weak capacities, end quote, in larger bodies. In support of this, Madison cited examples seen in antiquity. Quoting Madison once again, quote, in the ancient republics, where the whole body of the people assembled in person, a single orator or an artful statesman was generally seen to rule with as complete a sway as if a scepter had been placed in his single hand. On the same principle, 
the more multitudinous a representative assembly may be rendered, the more it will partake of the infirmities incident to collective meetings of the people." End quote. This led Madison to a striking insight. He thought that there was a limit to how large a representative legislature should be in order to retain a more democratic character. Quoting Madison once again, quote, The people can never err more than in supposing that by multiplying their representatives beyond a certain limit, they strengthen the barrier against the government of a few. Experience will forever admonish them that, on the contrary, after securing a sufficient number for the purposes of safety, of local information, and of diffusive sympathy with the whole society, they will counteract their own views by every addition to their representatives. The countenance of the government may become more democratic, but the soul that animates it will be more oligarchic. The machine will be enlarged, but the fewer, and often the more secret, will be the springs by which its motions are directed." End quote. We often end these podcasts with a remark about the relevance of the essay under review to politics in the present and future. Madison closed Federalist 58 with a reference to questions of majoritarianism in the context of quorum, quoting Madison on this point, quote, It has been said that more than a majority ought to have been required for a quorum, and in particular cases, if not in all, more than a majority of a quorum for a decision. That some advantages might have resulted from such a precaution cannot be denied. It might have been an additional shield to some particular interests, and another obstacle generally to hasty and partial measures. But these considerations are outweighed by the inconveniences in the opposite scale. In all cases where justice or the general good might require new laws to be passed or active measures to be pursued, the fundamental principle of free government would be reversed. It would be no longer the majority that would rule. The power would be transferred to the minority." End quote. This looks like an assertion of the superiority of majoritarianism as against supermajoritarianism. It is offered in the context of a discussion of quorum. Madison's argument in the last paragraph of Federalist 58 seems to go beyond the more narrow issue of what is required for quorum, or at least to be applicable more generally. On this basis, it looks like Madison is saying that the, quote, fundamental principle of free government, end quote, is majority rule. Madison did specify that this point contemplates cases in which, quote, justice or the general good might require new laws to be passed, end quote. But the point here seems to focus on the idea that on any particular policy question, the winning side will be either a viewpoint endorsed by the majority or a viewpoint endorsed by less than a majority. And from that perspective, as a matter of principle, he appears to have thought that the decision ought to rest with the majority. Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit our website at sunwater.org.